Joe and Amber, the podcast. 2023 MLB trade deadline is in the books. Who won? Who lost? Who's treading water? All that good stuff. We have got you covered here on Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance alongside Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball, and we go to the phones now for a little help. ESPN MLB insider Jesse Rogers joins the show. Jesse, we appreciate the time. Let's start with this. I'd love to ask how much Max Scherzer is going to help the Rangers or how much Justin Verlander is going to help the Astros. But the reality is I got to start with the New York Mets. What's next now that they basically sold off the entire team? Because this is a 101-win team from a year ago that has one of the highest payrolls in baseball, and they sold at the deadline. What's next is a new path forward for the Mets, something that uh, I don't think Steve Cohn expected to have to do, and it it is uh, looking more and more like a little bit of a retool. Of course, they're never going to rebuild, but you thought they'd be spending $350 million on payroll every year. That's probably not going to be the case for the next year at least. Uh, I mean, Max Scherzer kind of spilled the beans in his press conference down there. I'm sure Verlander will say similar in talking to Mets owner Steve Cohn and Brass. it, it, It isn't a quick turnaround for them. You can't be basically the oldest team in the league, fail, and expect to just come back and win again, right? If you're a young team and failed, you might think about some, some growth. But that's not the case. This is one of the oldest teams in the league. So, and now they've ripped the, the roster apart. So they're going to take these, um, these prospects they got back. They're going to retool more than likely next year. And, and uh, I think they've been honest about it internally, at least. We'll, we'll hopefully compete again in 25 and beyond. But it is a stunning, stunning development in Major League Baseball this year. Uh, the idea was that Artie Moreno decided to hold on to Otani and to be active at the trade deadline to convince him to stay. Did he do that? Why or why not? Yeah, well, let's not confuse activity with accomplishment. Now, if the Angels <laughs> were in the next, it's, a, it's an old, it's an old phrase, phrase. I, 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 learned, I learned from a football player, like, you know, you can run around a lot, but if you're not blocking the guy you're supposed to block, that, that's a lot of acti- activity without accomplishment. If it, and let me just say this. I, I, I like Perry Maniason's thinking. I like Artie Moreno's thinking, obviously, the strategy. We haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. Um, we want to try to put our best foot forward to keep Otani. And if this team was in the National League, I would like their moves and their chances. National League is wide open after Atlanta. But the American League is stacked, and that AL West is stacked, and I just don't think they're good enough. And they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot. Uh, man, Otani's keeping them in it just himself. So when Trout comes back and maybe these pitching additions, maybe it'll make the difference. I just think there's too many good teams, whether it be in the AL East. You know, that those are the teams they'll have to battle for the wild card. And, of course, the AL West with Texas and Houston loading up, I don't think they can overcome them. I think they're going to fall short even though the strategy and the thinking was right, that the talent just isn't enough. Of course, that could be wrong. Giolito could have the best two months of his life, who knows, and Trout coming back will help. But I I think they fall short. Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB insider, joining Myron Metcalf and Joe Fortenball here on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. You know, you mentioned the AL East. The Yankees have been just dreadful. Three or fewer runs in five of their last six games. They're 21st in run production this year. Albeit Aaron Judge has missed significant time, but Judge isn't the only guy in the lineup. They've got other ball players in the lineup who can generate some runs, and they failed to do so. They make a trade. They bring in two relievers. That's not going to get anyone excited. What direction are they going? Are they going to be making the playoffs? Do you think they make a push at all down the stretch? 
No, I don't. I don't. And I, I, I talked to a lot of Yankee people throughout this process, and even they weren't sure exactly what to do. I'll tell you the worst thing to happen to the Yankees. I'm based here in Chicago. The worst thing to happen to the Yankees was the Chicago Cubs winning eight games in a row. Because if they hadn't gotten back into the race, they would have traded Cody Bellinger, and the Yankees would have been first in line. And I bet they would have given up a haul. Maybe even Jason Dominguez, their best prospect for Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger or, I guess, Shohei Otani were the solutions to the Yankees' problems, in my opinion. They needed to go big, and they needed to go big from the left side of the batter's box, something they've had a problem with for years. I don't think they knew exactly what to do once Otani and Bellinger came off the market. They looked at Dylan Carlson. They probably need some more pitching after Garrett Cole. It's it's a weird situation. They have this all-world player and judge coming back from injury. Um, guys like Stanton Rizzo not having good years. I, I think they think they're not that great. And unless they made a huge addition, that they were just going to kind of play it out. I don't think they make the playoffs. No chance. We've heard, obviously, a lot uh, about <laughs> Houston and Texas with Scherzer, Verlander. We've heard a lot about the Otani buzz that ended up moving him. What's the team we're not talking about that was maybe active at the deadline and got better uh, and deserves a little more credit for that? Yeah, I would say the Miami Marlins, the team we, we almost never talk about, right? They're, they're in the hunt in the, in the um, National League wild card, of course. They're not going to catch the Braves. But Jake Berger's having a real nice, fine, kind of under-the-radar season with the White Sox 20, 24-25 home runs. I mean, that plays – down in Miami now hopefully he has enough power to get it out of that park that park is huge it's where home runs go to die but he's a guy that's hit a lot of long home runs so maybe they factored that in but you know you don't play all your your games at home obviously so Berger is a nice power bat and remember guys not a lot of bats moved I mean that that's a lot of home runs moving not a lot of bats moved uh here with the Cubs Candelario um was a good pickup but Burger Gilt going is, is a big addition to the Miami Marlins and who, who also added a closer in David Robertson. So they got probably the best home run bat to move and probably the best late inning reliever in, in a sense that moves. So Robertson and Jake Berger, I say, hey, let's give the Marlins some credit. They rarely go for it, and they're, they're trying to at least make the playoffs down there. ESPN MLB insider Jesse Rogers joining Myron Metcalf and Joe Fortenball here on ESPN Radio. You know, we're – we're victims of recency bias. We look at a team like Houston. They're 60 and 47. Mm-hmm. They've had a good season. They have a great track record the last few years. They go out. They bring in Justin Verlander. Everyone gets very excited. They become the favorites in the American League. Baltimore's better in terms of record. They're 65 and 41. They go out and get Jack Flaherty. No one's talking about the Orioles. How dangerous yeah. is this team this year? Oh, it's really dangerous. And the only thing that would probably hold them back is experience. And maybe that, you know, Flaherty helps. He's pitched in pennant races and in playoff games for the Cardinals. I mean, the Orioles just don't have a lot of experience in prime time, meaning pennant race games and certainly in the playoffs. But, look, the talent's there. Uh, they will be a World Series favorite in, in one of these years in the future. They Heck, heck they may be this year as we hit October. Um, but I think you put Texas, Houston, Baltimore in that elite class of, of teams, at least talent-wise, Maybe Houston has, you know, not just a little, but much more experience. Texas probably a little bit more experience as well. But in terms of young talent, Baltimore's there. And, you know, it takes talent to win a World Series, but it also takes experience. So they're going to go – look, they're going to get into playoffs, I think. And it, how far they go, it might be based on exactly how much they've learned this first year as a winning organization. 
Nicely done. Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB insider, joining us here, Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio. Thank you, Jesse. We appreciate the time. You got it, guys. Have a great night. Marlin, or Marlin. I'm thinking about the Marlins. Myron, <laughs> excuse me, Myron Medcalf, the great Myron Medcalf. The Baltimore Orioles, when you have a young team like this that hasn't really been there before, there's one of two ways it goes. Either they're just so young and so ignorant to the fact of all the pressure, they play loose, they play free, and they just run right through it, or they're young, they're very aware of the pressure, they succumb to the pressure, and they get beat up due to the lack of inexperience. What do you think the Orioles are this season? You think they're that young team with swagger that can just move, mow through it? I, I think they are. I, I mean, they, they just like don't it. seem that they're rattled by anything. Um, they don't seem like they take themselves too seriously. You know, we've had a lot of good young teams over the last 25 years in baseball. And the ones I remember from like the 90s and, and the early 2000s were all just like such serious dudes. Like their 22-year-olds acted like they were 42 and these guys aren't like that. So I, I don't think they're feeling the pressure. And why should they? This is going to be a problem for baseball for the next decade if they can keep this group together, man. I think it's exciting. All right. We're going to transition from Major League Baseball to NFL training camp. Sound on, sound off with all the latest information you need to know about what's coming out of every NFL training camp around the league. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the show. MLB trade deadline day. Justin Verlander from the Mets to the Astros, who have now become your favorites to win the American League, jumping Tampa Bay in the process. Jack Flaherty goes from St. Louis to Baltimore, who has been having a tremendous season. More on that throughout the course of the show. Alongside Myron Metcalf, my name is Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. One thing we like to do on this show every now and again is something called a little sound on, sound off. They said it, but what did they really mean? What are you trying to say to us? Sound on, sound off with Joe and Amber. All right, this is where I get to kick my feet up, take a step back. Producer Mark, welcome to the show. (laughs) The driving wheel is yours. Please try to keep us on the road, at least to some extent. It is Sports Talk Radio, so... Myron and I are cool if you want to veer a little bit. All right. Well, I'm a pleasure to be with you guys. So we're going to kick <laughs> it off with uh, Chris Canty, co-host of Canty and Carlin, was on Greeny earlier today. He said the Cowboys should consider something pretty interesting for next season. 
Kyler Murray is going to be available this offseason, right? The Arizona Cardinals have waved the white flag before the season starts. They're tanking. They're going to try to get one of those signal callers next year, whether it's Drake May, Caleb Williams, one of those guys from the college ranks. Well, where does that leave Kyler Murray? Certainly he'll be available. His contract, what, he's making $46 million a year? That's starting to look like a bargain for a starting quarterback. It would be a young veteran quarterback that presents more in the way of athleticism and overall talent than Dak Prescott brings to the table. Now, I don't know that's going to equate to Dallas being able to do more high-level winning, but my point with Dak is this. If we have to keep asking the question about whether or not he can get the Cowboys to winning a championship, eventually we're going to land on that answer being no. If it doesn't happen in 2023, I don't know that it's ever going to happen for Dak in Dallas. All right, Joe, what do you think of that? Shouldn't the Cowboys go for Kyler Murray? Oh, my God. Well, I'm an Eagles fan, so I'd say yes, because I don't think it would be a good move at all. So I absolutely would want to see that happen. The the problem here, I, I get Kenny's point that that contract is going to start to look like a bargain. That's smart, because we look at the deals when they're signed, and we say, how can you pay that much money for the guy? And then a couple years goes by, and all of a sudden, the deal is absolutely nothing. Like, I remember when people were all worked up about Jimmy Garoppolo making, like, $25 million a year. That's backup yeah. money these days. So financially, I get it. But the thing that worries me about Murray, it's not injuries. It's just maturity and leadership. That's the premier position in all of sports. And if you're going to win championships, you need a bona fide alpha leader who can produce at a high level in that role. Guys that can produce but can't lead, that doesn't work. Guys that can lead but can't produce, that doesn't work. You need a leader who can produce. And right now, I just see too much immaturity to make that investment, Myron, in Kyler Murray. Yeah, I, I like Canty a lot. We got the same agent, right? <laughs> uh, but, but I just don't see a world where you would, to me, what feels like a downgrade to, to Kyler Murray. To, Kyler Murray's career is about potential. We talk about the stuff that he can do, the skill set. We don't talk about the times he's put it all together for a consistent stretch. Now, a lot of that's been due to injuries. But I don't think you can look at Dak Prescott and say, okay, he can't lead you to the promised land, but Kyler Murray can. I don't think there's any evidence of that. Uh, so I would stay put if I were the Cowboys. We like to pretend like there are 15 quarterbacks better than Dak Prescott, and there are not. And if you're in that situation, you're Dallas, unless you have a definite upgrade, I don't think you can make a move on Dak Prescott right now. All right, so Nathaniel Hackett, the Jets' offensive coordinator, spoke today publicly for the first time about Sean Payton's pay- uh, comments earlier this last week. Here was his reaction to what Sean Payton had to say. Obviously, last week has been a uh, very unique week, I think, uh, for for this organization. And, um, you know, I've been involved in this business my whole life, 43 years. And uh, as a coach, you know, as a coach's kid, uh, you know, we live in a glass house. We know that. We all live in different rooms. We all got a key for it. And it's one of those things that there's a code, there's a way things are done in that house. And, you know, this past week, it, it's, it's, it's frustrating and it sucks, but uh, we're all susceptible to it. So it seems like you took the high road there. Myron, what do you think? What was the code to being able to manage a clock in Denver? I'm curious about that. But, <laughs> Come on. Wow. Um, you know. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Listen, okay. <laughs> Here's my challenge. I think Sean Payton said something he didn't have to say. You can think that. You don't have to say it. I don't know who that helps. Uh, I can understand Nathaniel Hackett feeling defensive about it. But don't play the victim thing. Don't talk about this NFL code and that thing. Listen, at the end of the day, the criticism was legit. Nathaniel Hackett was a bad coach in Denver. Had a lot of flaws, and that's why he lost his job. He's also a guy who has gotten a lot of opportunities based on the perception of who he is and not who he actually is. 
Everybody says that he was the guy who turned Aaron Rodgers into a two-time MVP. He wasn't the play caller. The same way that Eric Bieniemy can't get a head coaching job, somehow Nathaniel Hackett didn't call plays and he became Denver's head coach. This is a guy who keeps getting favor after favor that he doesn't deserve. I don't think he's the right guy to lead this New York Jets offense. I don't think anybody could have confidence in that considering what they watch with Russell Wilson. The criticism is legit. And if I'm Nathaniel Hackett, I take the high road here and say, you know what? Didn't like it. I'm going to focus on my guys because he doesn't need to be having any conversations that don't involve him trying to prove that he's a capable coach in this NFL. Completely agree. Completely agree. I'd love to present a different case here, but the situation is you got fired less than one full year on the job. That's Urban Meyer territory. Like, that's awful. If you are fired the first year on the job, that is as bad of a situation as it can possibly be. And the results were exactly what you would expect. You went in, you did a poor job, you were in over your head, you had enough talent to at least win some games, you couldn't do it, and now you're in a new position, and you don't want to hear it. If you were a good coach, you know what you'd realize? Is that what Sean Payton's saying isn't about you. It's not about you at all. It's about his team and his culture. Sean Payton is saying this stuff because he wants it out there in the public for his team to see. Last year's problems were last year's problems. Those problems are gone, not just in the form of Nathaniel Hackett, but in the form of everything that went south. It's all gone. We're turning the page. It's a new era. He's putting the bullet or the bullseye on his back rather than Russell Wilson's. It's a genius coaching move from a savvy veteran coach to put the pressure on himself rather than his team and to get his team thinking about the future rather than the past. And if Hackett was a good head coach, he'd realize that's what's happening. But instead, he sits here and he says, well, you know, he violated the code. What code? Who cares? Move on. Do a better job or you're victim to the criticism. That's how it goes. All right, last one real quick, guys. Tua Tungaviola, Dolphins quarterback, spoke to the media on how he prepared for this season to avoid injuries. A lot more reps with the heavier weights, things like that. But everything that I did this offseason entailed to what would keep me on the field for the entirety of a season. We understand that, you know, freaky things can happen. You know, it's football. It's a physical sport. Not everything that you prepare for is what you're going to get. So I did the best that I could that um you know to get myself ready and prep for this season as far as injuries go love it he understands the biggest concern for the dolphins to get to the postseason is his health so he addressed it whether or not it works we'll see myron but i love the fact that that was his priority self-awareness i think that's what he's showing and that's important uh, for this team to reach its ceiling i hope he stays healthy you know i also heard that he was doing jujitsu this offseason in an effort to learn how to fall better yeah, I and don't I, don't, I don't know anything about jiu-jitsu, so I don't know what to make of that. But you know what? If that yeah. works, that's awesome. That's awesome. You're yeah. going to have everyone in the gym. You're going to have 350-pound linemen in the gym doing jiu-jitsu, just <laughs> triggering earthquakes all over the place. What does the future hold for the Pac-12? Ooh, this is going to be a good one. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fornball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM Channel 80. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, so this is the time of the year where we're supposed to turn our head away from the drama 
and onto the field and start making predictions and all that fun stuff. But yet college football at every turn knows how to give you what you want. Alongside Myron Metcalf, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. And we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs. For protection on the road and on the water, see how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. All right, Myron, there's a lot to unpack here. A lot. So stay with me. As we know, conferences are realigning all the time in this day and age of NIL, TV rights, all that good stuff. The SEC and Big Ten are headed for super conferences, and we'll see what everyone else can figure out. The Pac-12 seems to be ages behind everybody. Recently, Colorado has let it be known that they're going to be leaving the Pac-12 after this season and rejoining the Big 12 where they used to be. Oregon head coach Dan Lanning was asked about Colorado leaving the Pac-12. He says, quote, and I love this here, quote, not a big reaction. I'm trying to remember what they won to affect this conference, and I don't remember. Do you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything, end quote. Love that. Now, the Pac-12 then comes out and releases a statement that's aimed at their stability after Colorado becomes the third school in a year to announce their move. Obviously, USC and UCLA have announced they're going to the Big Ten. From the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is comprised of world-leading universities and athletic programs who share a commitment to developing the next generation of leaders, supporting students. You know what? I'm not even going to go on with this. I hadn't read it, and I started, and I know exactly what this is going to be. Forget about it. The end. We are focused on concluding our media rights deal and securing our continued success and growth. Immediately following the conclusion of our media rights deal, we will embrace expansion opportunities and bring new fans, markets, excitement, and value to the Pac-12. End quote. The floor is yours. I mean, what do you make of this conference at this stage of the game? The Pac-12 lost. You know, I, I mean, at the end they of the day, they lost the streaming wars. They they certainly did. I mean, the what? SEC was first, then the Big Ten made its move after forming its alliance. You know, with the Pac-12 and I think the ACC, and I think the Big Twelve has done an incredible job of saying, "Listen, we can't be the Big Ten or the SEC, but we can be the third league and be an attractive option for a lot of schools." And that's what they're doing. And now there's TV money attached to that. The Pac-12 waited and waited and waited and just assumed that everybody would stick around and wasn't proactive, and now they're in this spot. The the problem with the streaming deal is that I think we are headed to a world where everything's streaming. We're not there yet. And you saw that with the NFL. Thursday night football, two years ago, averaged about 16 million viewers every Thursday night. Last year was about 9 million. Now, some of those matchups weren't great, but part of it is, like we talked about before the break, your dad and my dad – They're not going to Prime or Apple or anything. They don't care anything about that. If it's not on ESPN or a channel they have and they can flip their remote to, they're not going to see it. So I just think it is a tough situation. And if I'm in the Pac-12 now, I don't care what Dan Lanning said publicly. Every school should be calling the Big Ten, the Big 12, and figuring out can we get out of here because that kind of money is so much different than the money they're getting in those other leagues. No doubt. I mean, if I read this correctly, the Big 12 has a deal where as they continue to add teams, like the pie goes up. Like whoever they're working with, the pie goes up. So when you jump in as Colorado, you're not taking away from anybody else. You're just getting more of a bigger pie that comes up because we have more teams to televise throughout the course of the season. That's huge. You know, the SEC and the Big Ten are already loaded with power teams, so you had to be proactive. Like, the second you saw the first dominoes falling, the moment, I mean, go all the way back to Missouri joining the SEC. You're thinking to yourself, what is this about? 
well, they're trying to get ahead of something. And then when Texas and Oklahoma announced, that should have been the all-out, we have got to get out of here. There are two conferences that no matter what aren't going anywhere, SEC and Big Ten. Yeah. Everybody else is up for grabs. we got to figure out how we're going to play this out. And if you're the Pac-12, you sat around. Larry Scott did an awful job as the commissioner there. Absolutely abysmal. Set them up poorly, and it hasn't gone well since. USC and UCLA, you lose Los Angeles. Like, you probably just sat around assuming you had the number two market in the entire country, so things would be good. Yeah. But now what do you think happens next? Like, if you're Oregon or Washington right now, you've got to be eyeing something up, right? Because you could stay and dominate, but I don't know if the yeah. money's going to be there. It won't be there. And listen, any statement that the Pac-12 puts out about unification, we're all together, is nonsense. They're not all together. <laughs> I know. I started Everybody's reading that. Lying. I was like, no. <laughs> it's, it's a good fella scene. You, everybody's at the table. Don't trust anybody, right, at the end of the day, because everybody's looking to get out. You have to understand. I think people have to understand the kind of money we're talking about. Right now, the SEC is projected to hand out $100 million a school by 2028. Oh. The Big Ten is going to hand out $75 million a school by 2025, right? Now the Big 12, I think, is around $30 million or so. And then you're telling the Pac-12, like, maybe we'll sell subscriptions. Does, is Dan Landing going to be knocking on people's doors, telling them to buy some <laughs> Apple subscription? Are people going to pay $19.99 a month to watch Cal versus Washington State? I mean, they have a lot of barriers to reach whatever ceiling they're throwing at these schools with these subscription numbers. I don't know how you get those. I don't know how you get people to buy into an all-streaming vision considering that you just lost USC, UCLA, you could lose Arizona, and maybe even more schools beyond that. This is the end of the Pac-12. Five years from now, maybe even two years from now, the Pac-12 won't exist. And I think that's what today means. I don't care what they tell you about streaming deals. There will be four power leagues. The Pac-12 will be eliminated. I'll tell you a deal they could get that might financially be solid for them, but they're not going to want to do it. The gaming companies want to get TV rights. The gaming companies like FanDuel, DraftKings, all these companies out there, yes, they take bets. Yes, they run Daily Fantasy, but they have bigger visions. They're launching networks. They're putting original programming on those networks. Pat McAfee, soon to join ESPN, is from one of those networks, right? They don't want to just put talk shows on there. It's not a knock against talk shows. They eventually want games on there. They have a vision where at some point smart TVs will be so smart that if you're watching a game – on their channel, you will be able to make bets on that game through your TV as you're watching it. They want all of that interactive Ooh. in one spot. That's the future they have. Now, that future is a long way off because you're not going to get major sports to sign off on that just yet. Gambling legalized in more than half the states in the country, so it's becoming more palatable for people, but we're not at the point yet where we're ready to see an NFL Thursday night game on DraftKings.com, right? We're just not there yeah. yet. And those companies are making enough money, they don't have to envision that yet. But if you're the Pac-12, that option's going to be out there. You have college students, so you're definitely not going to end up doing it. But I don't know what other options you're going to pursue that are going to be any good. If you want to stream, great. But on top of that, you got to be found on a channel. You have to be yeah. found somewhere on a channel. I don't know if you want to go the CW route, like the Live Tour, but you got to yeah. find somebody. And I'm sure somebody out there is willing to get involved. It's just they're not going to pay what you want. And Arizona, for all the people right now who look at that and say, why would you want Arizona in the Big 12? It's about basketball. You also get basketball. Yeah, yeah. You have to remember that. This time of year, we're so focused on football, people think that team's not that great. they got a great basketball program. Myron, you know this better than anybody. 
Yeah, and basketball will, will be a major factor as well. But like to your point on streaming, these major streaming companies have sort of dabbled in live programming. Netflix has done like a few things. Mm-hmm. haven't gotten into sports. Obviously, Amazon Prime has Thursday night football. But this is all of your games on a streaming service? Like that is a first. And, and I'm sure all those schools are going, get me out of the Pac-12 now so I can get some real money. And I got to be honest, the saddest thing about all this and this is classic Pac-12, you are set to have one of your deepest seasons in a long time. Like, USC is the favorite. They won 11 games last year. They should be the favorite. Caleb Williams is back trying to become the first two-time Heisman Trophy winner since Archie Griffin in the mid-'70s at Ohio State. But UCLA is going to be pretty good. Utah, depending on the health of Cam Rising, should be solid. People don't realize this. Washington won 11 games last year in Kalen DeBoer's first year on the job. Kalen DeBoer might be the most underrated coach in college football, and their defense stunk last year. If that defense is improved, Washington's going to be formidable. Oregon's going to be solid under Dan Lanning. Oregon State won 10 games last year for the third time in program history. Jonathan Smith is a hell of a head coach, and he's got that program moving in the right direction. Oh, by the way, DJ Uyunglele transferred over from Clemson, and if he ever hits his ceiling, look out for the Beavers. Arizona and Arizona State are moving in the right direction, but it's going to take some time. I like the hire um, of the head coach in Arizona State, but it's going to Kenny Dillingham, who's coming down yeah. from, I believe it's uh, one of the Pac-12, pro, one of the programs up north. But, I mean, ultimately, you have a chance to have a lot of good games this year, and you just can't seem to figure it out. You can't get out of your own way. Yeah. And, again, this is beyond figuring it out for this season. Does the league exist? I mean, that's the question we got to be asking tonight. Oh, special. Oh, my God. Especially. I can't. I just, it's going to be wild to see USC and UCLA playing road games in November at the Horseshoe in Ann Arbor or in East Lansing against yeah. Michigan State. Like those back to back scenarios with that travel is going to be something wild. All right. Yeah. We continue our NFL two days here on ESPN Radio. The Cleveland Browns are coming up next. I got buy reasons on them. I got reasons to buy them, maybe greater in the grand scheme of things than you'd think. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. All right, alongside Myron Metcalf, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio's two-a-days continue with the Cleveland Browns. Let's go through the Vegas gambling lines to set the stage for Cleveland season. Currently... 35 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, 20 to 1 to win the AFC, plus 380 to win the AFC North. Plus 380 means a $100 wager would return $380 in profit if you were to win. Cincinnati's your favorite, Baltimore second, Cleveland third, Pittsburgh fourth in the AFC North. Win total is 9.5, meaning if you bet the over 9.5 wins, 10 or more will cash that ticket. If you bet under 9.5 wins, 9 or fewer will cash that ticket. To make the playoffs, yes, even money, no, minus 120. So missing the playoffs is a slight favorite. Myron, Deshaun Watson, a lot of money's been invested. Do you see him bouncing back to his previous Houston form this year, or is that guy gone for good? Yeah, I think that guy's gone for good, and I think there's still a chance this goes down as the worst contract ever uh, because of the guaranteed money attached to it. I understand he hadn't played football for a long time. I understand there would be some rust. You would expect that. But I also think that people are just sort of wiping away that six-game stretch last year and saying it doesn't count. How could it not count in the NFL when they gave him $230 million? Completed 58% of his passes, a career low. Yards per attempt, 
6.5, a career low. QB rating, 79.1, career low. QBR, 38.3, career low. Now, you can tell me that a guy (laughs) is rusty. That's one thing. But Deshaun Watson wasn't just rusty last year. He was bad. So, for me, you could see signs potentially that this is a guy who maybe has lost that three Pro Bowl runs in a row, that guy who was one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, and I don't see him getting back to that level. However, you got Nick Chubb. You have some other weapons. Obviously, Amari Cooper and some of the pieces you've been able to add. Cedric Tillman, I think, was a great pickup in the draft. And then you add Darius Smith. You boost your pass rush next to Miles, across from Miles Garrett with adding a guy like that. Uh, but I just think there are so many questions about Deshaun Watson. We can't overlook his struggles last year. If you tell me it's because he hasn't played in a long time, fine. That means he's rusty. Why was that? Why would that change this year? But those numbers and his decline were significant. I looked at Dak Prescott, who missed a bunch of games, I think from 2021 to 2022, the big injury. He was still completing about 66% of his passes, even post-injury. Deshaun Watson went from 70% of his passes to 58%. That, to me, is something that people should be paying attention to. Okay, that's clearly the angle going in. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute because if you believe If you believe there's a reason why Watson fell off last season, that would not be the case for this season. Meaning, of course, he's coming off a long suspension, new team joining them late in the year, doesn't perform very well. But after some time in the system, he could regain close to that previous form. This is a great buy low candidate. All right. Think about what Cleveland's trotting out there this year. Kevin Stefanski, the shine as head coach, has worn off a little bit, but he was coach of the year just a couple seasons back. The running game led by Nick Chubb. Top five in the NFL. The offensive line, top five, top ten in the NFL. The weapons he has surrounding him, starting with Amari Cooper. There are plenty of formidable weapons there that he could have a chance to succeed with a head coach like Stefanski, who knows how to design and call plays. Now, on the defensive side of the football, you still have Miles Garrett. It's not an elite unit, but they made a big splash signing former Minnesota defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson this past offseason. Cleveland has had issues on the interior defensive line for years. And if Tomlinson can stack that interior and create a problem in there. It's going to free up guys like Miles Garrett on the edge, and that defense is going to take a big step forward. There are reasons to believe Cleveland could be a solid team this year, could go to the playoffs, could make some noise. But again, it all starts with Watson, and I think there's reason to believe he could bounce back. But man, if he can't, given everything that's around him, Myron, and a year already in this system, you're right. This is going to go down as one of the all-time worst signings in NFL history, and being on the Browns' ledger probably doesn't end up surprising a ton of people. Sorry, yeah, Cleveland I mean, fans, it, it, I had to do it. <laughs> they, they've been here before. I mean, and, and it's something we've never seen before. Guys played six games since the 2020 season. So it's just hard to sort of understand exactly where he's at in his development. Uh, if that was just sort of a guy who was that rusty, hadn't played a lot of football, or if that was a guy who maybe lost his fastball a little bit. I mean – there was a point where, remember, Deshaun Watson has a big lead on Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs right. not that long ago, and they should have won that game, and that probably changes the whole future uh, of that organization. But I just didn't see a lot of things last year that made me go, it's still there. I understand the rust. I understand getting into the system, but there weren't a lot of moments, even in the six games he played, where you thought, okay, that guy has something that is sort of top 10-ish in the NFL. He looked like an average quarterback. Maybe that changes this year, but I feel like we're looking at a guy 
where whose best years might be behind him already. You mentioned that playoff game at Kansas City. Do you remember how stupid that AFC playoff run was for Kansas City? They were amazing. in a huge hole against Houston, came all yep. the way back to essentially blow them out. They ended up covering a double-digit spread almost at the yep. half when they came back. And then the following week in the AFC championship game, Tennessee got a big lead on them, and they stormed back and ended up blowing them out. I mean, I know we're supposed yeah, to be talking about amazing. the Browns, but what a run that was. Oh, my God. And imagine if Houston wins that game. Imagine if Houston wins Oof. the game. They should have won it. Had a big lead. That changes so much, right? God, they had a huge lead in that game. Back to the AFC North. I mean, Cincinnati, you got Joe Burrow dealing with the calf strain. They're week one yeah. at Cleveland. Cleveland's a two-and-a-half-point home dog in that matchup. If Burrow can't go, that's going to be a tough one for the Bengals to pull out. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Cincinnati has Baltimore in week two. So right out of the gate, Cincinnati could have some trouble. Baltimore with Lamar Jackson coming back. Do not sleep on them. Top five defense, top five offensive line, top five head coach. New offensive coordinator is going to get that offense humming. Jackson's got weapons around him. I think they're a formidable threat. Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record in Pittsburgh. I mean... We talk about the AFC East a lot, but the Patriots are the weak link there. We talk about the AFC yeah. North a lot. It looks like the Steelers are the weak link. Which of those two divisions would you rather bet on to have more wins total over the course of the year? Oh, man, I think I'd go to it's AFC tough North. One. AFC North? It is, t- it is tough, though. It is really tough. Oh, man, because, my God. You know, the health issues. We don't, I don't know enough about Joe Burrow yet, right? Like, that, that's an injury where it's like – Cap strain's you know, scary. People are saying the right thing. Yeah, because it's one of those things where – he could feel good today and not good next week, you know, and it's something they have to monitor. Lamar Jackson, all the challenges he's had staying healthy, um, and Deshaun Watson coming off not playing a lot of football. So, But the ceiling, I think, is very high for all those teams. Cleveland, very intriguing to me overall. Baltimore, I think, wins the division. I- I'm not there yet. Baltimore, 20-1, to 1, might be my Super Bowl pick. I know people are concerned about Jackson's Ooh. health. He missed five games last year. They still won 10 games. If he's healthy, they are so balanced. Yeah. So balanced. But that is a story for another day. Myron Metcalf, always a pleasure working with you, my man. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm Joe Fortenball. Freddie and Fitzsimmons, loaded show coming up next. I hear Ian Fitzsimmons is making a guest appearance on his own show. (laughs) Thrilling for all of us. Thank you for checking us out. This has been Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. This has been the Joe and Amber podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber live weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, or on your smart speaker. Joe and Amber, the podcast.